We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a Week 9 edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. The Sammy Strouder of College Football Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by RotoWire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie, who uh, on our uh, stream here has labeled himself Mikel Lashore, uh, which I, I respect <laughs> deeply. Uh, one of the all time names, not only uh, in college football, but in the NFL. Uh, I have no idea what Mikel Lashore is up to, but I have no doubt that it's, it's something productive. Oh, 100%. You know, a, a man of the people, a man in the in the community. Um, would you regale the listeners and uh, reveal your display name for, for this here StreamYard? So a little peek behind the curtain. We pick a new one every week, much like a, you know, the random player that I name at the top of the podcast. We just kind of try to dig deep into any random name from like 2004 through 2013 tends to be eligible. Uh, I'm, I'm going with Jordan Shipley. You know, I almost feel like that's kind of a cliche pick within this genre. Uh, a lot of people remember Jordan Shipley for being white and being a good receiver uh, during the lap. Probably that was the last time I think Texas was actually back, right? I mean, he was on that team that actually played in the national title game, I believe, right. the year that Cole McCoy got hurt right away. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Shipley was a guy that, that guys like you and I could look up to and be like, dang, like I, I want to be shredded that. and play for Texas. That sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a, a role model, you know, and at that point, I think we were either like out of high school or just getting done with high school. So those days had probably passed, but it was like, I think I could, I could be a receiver at Texas. I could do what he's doing. <laughs> it, there's still time. <laughs> I, I guess I haven't burned any of my eligibility. I, I put in four years, but I did not play a single snap at the University of Wisconsin. And correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think you, did you play any downs at Georgia? No, they wouldn't let me on the field for, you know, reasons beyond my control. Yeah. Yeah, well, player safety, you know, has become such a priority yeah. these days. You have to understand it. Uh, we're going to make a point to not spend too long recapping week eight because it lived up to the hype as just a really down week with a lot of, uh, you know, highly ranked team against kind of doormat in the conference or, you know, a lot of highly ranked teams were off. Uh, so there's not a ton to get to. Of course, we'll touch on Illinois, Penn State uh, and what a debacle that was. Uh, o- Oklahoma seems to be back uh, to just like surviving against bad teams every week. This This latest week, it was Kansas. Uh, Cincinnati survived against Navy. Not exactly uh, the style points type of win uh, you're necessarily looking for if you're Cincinnati at this juncture. But before we get into that, Halloween's coming up, John. It's on Sunday. Uh, my, my girlfriend and I will be handing out candy uh, with her niece, I guess. That's that's what I'm told. So we're going to get back into the game after a couple years of kind of being out of the candy game. Uh, probably like a decade, I guess, of being out of the candy game. Um, <laughs> but Mike Leach you know, has once again stirred the pot this past week. Uh, this one, yeah, more of yeah, more of a cauldron at this point. It's just kind of like a sweltering, uh, bubbling cauldron um, of takes. And luckily, he kept politics out of this one. But if people get as fired up about candy rankings as they do politics in 2021. Uh, I'm curious to see, you know, whether you want to incorporate Mr. Leach's comments or not. Where do you come in on 
on Halloween candy. You can give me a ranking. You can give me your favorite genre. You can give me candies that you avoid at all costs, wherever you want to go here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's such a, a rich tapestry, a, a deep vein that to, uh, to tap into, but uh, you know, leech like you, like you alluded to started it off Saturday night after Michigan or I'm sorry, Mississippi state went ahead and, and took care of business against Vanderbilt. He gets, you know, some inane question from a reporter and just goes full leech and just starts ranting about, about candy. Um, and I appreciated that, that he led things off um, talking about uh, Haribo gummy bears, which I, I believe to be the, the king of gummy bears. I don't view them necessarily as a Halloween candy. However, I think that's like a year round treat that yeah. you can, you can get into, but as far as just regular Halloween candy, um, I steer towards the chocolate generally. Um, I think Reese's is, is the one a one B and one C for me. Um, you get the regular peanut butter cup, uh, you get the mini cups even. And then, uh, also, uh, if you luck into the pumpkin shaped ones, which give you a little bit of boost on the peanut butter ratio, um, those I, I think are kind of at the at the very very top, and then you get into the Milky Ways um, and, and so on of the world. Um, I think it, the most slept on uh, of the of the Halloween candies tends to be the hundred grand bar. It's got the crispiness, it's got the caramel, it's got the chocolate. Um, it's just kind of got an old timey branding to it, so I think it, it could stand. Uh, you know, maybe a renaming. Uh, you know, it, it's it's a monetarily named commodity, right? Hundred grand. What if they went crypto? What if they just did like Dogecoin bar? What if they did 1.47 Bitcoin bar? You know, that's a hundred yeah. grand. So, so, you know, there's ways that, that hundred grand could, could raise its, its visibility here. Um, but, but I do stand uh, their product. Absolutely. And then, you know, looking elsewhere in, in the sweets department, uh, if you get one of those mini starburst packs and, and you get two reds or a red and a pink or a pink and a yellow, uh, you're living right. That was a very thorough breakdown. I agree with Thank most you. of what you said. Um, I, I'm more of a, a sugary candy over chocolate candy guy, but often that gets misconstrued as hating chocolate candy. And it's not true at all. I like them all. You know, there are, there are a few exclusions, of course. Um, anything mint chocolate, I'm going to avoid, you know, those York peppermint patty. Uh, you know, normally you're not seeing those a whole lot, but they tend to be, you know, near the checkout at grocery stores. You know, that's an area yeah. you typically want to avoid. But I'll, I'll eat pretty much anything else. I will always prioritize Sweet tarts, Smarties, shock tarts, uh, chewy Ooh. sprees, things of that nature. Uh, the Haribo gummy bears, by the way, you know, everybody likes a good gummy bear. You're right. They're not necessarily Halloween candy. I, I think the niche that more people need to get into is the sour Haribo gummy bears. And this is where I'm going to go a little bit off track. I actually put them in the freezer. So I'll keep them in the freezer. They, they kind of harden up, but due to their gumminess, they don't fully harden up. It's like they, you know, they won't like shatter or anything. They still maintain some chewiness. You can suck on them. They will destroy the roof of your mouth. That's something you have to be cognizant of. You have to go in kind of knowing that you're going to- Yeah, you sign that social contract. Absolutely. Right, exactly. You're going to have a bloody palate for a couple of days, but it's so worth it. You know, when you're sucking on five, 10, maybe 15 of those puppies, you know, late at night. <laughs> that That's innovation at its finest. And Mike Leach mentioned the importance uh, and recognized the importance of the candy innovation he's talking about nerds clusters on on the right. field after the game so so you in your own way have have done like a diy candy innovation and i'm going to tell you on that one man like I, yeah. i'm next time that, that i'm at the store that this weekend picking up some candy definitely going to fire up the, the sour gummy bears and throw those suckers in the freezer right and I, I will say i'm definitely a binge eater of candy like i i, I usually eat very clean i'm very careful about what i eat but like once every couple of weeks or, or even months at times, it, they'll just be a complete like off the wagon weekend where like I'll, <laughs> I'll go to the grocery store with the wrong mindset and I come home with, you know, like they have those like dollar rectangular boxes of, you know, like, uh, you know, chewy sprees or mini sweet tarts, things like that. Oh, like like a like movie five. theater sized almost. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. And like they're, they're actually only filled like 35% of the box, but in your mind, you're like, this is such a great deal, a dollar for this. And then, yeah, it's just a massacre. You know, it's kind of one of those things where you, you wake up on the couch on Sunday and it's like, you're actually more hungover from eating candy than you yeah. had you drank alcohol. It's kind of a weird paradox. It's yeah, I know. I, I, I definitely go through those cycles as well. And, you know, you, you and I try to eat relatively healthy, but yeah, that there, there are slip ups along the way. We're human yeah. uh, as our, uh, you know, our, our listeners, they just think of us as these perfect podcast beings, but mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're human too. And, and we can occasionally knock out, a box and a half of candy or maybe a, a bag of tortilla chips with salsa, right. who knows?
Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the list goes on. I actually read this morning in a, in a newsletter in my email that uh, cigarette smoking and purchases are up <laughs> this year for the first time in, in like two decades. Cigs are back. So, yeah, cigs are back. Like vices in general, I think, are making a comeback. You know, I, I think that this past year and a half have put us all through the ringer. Um, who, do, who doesn't deserve to, uh, yeah. to puff down some Marlboros? Right. And sp- speaking of, like uh, last week, this is a small baseball tangent, but when Chris Taylor hit the three home runs in the Dodgers playoff game, they show Reggie Jackson hitting the famous three home runs and, yep. you know, to become Mr. October. And it was just very funny to me. Like anytime you see old clips, like the, the old ads or how people would dress is always funny. But I love how the most prominent advertising space in Yankee Stadium, like dead center, huge billboard ad space, right. just Marlboro. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so jarring now. And it's the same thing with, uh, if you look, if you watch like an old playoff game, an NBA playoff game, even from the early two thousands, it's not cigarettes, but it's like beer advertisements everywhere. Everywhere you look is like Miller Lite, Bud Light. And then like those classic, like ultra nineties logos oh, um, yeah. where everything is like, there's like beads of water on everything. It just look it just looks like really appealing when you're watching it. Uh, I mean, the NASCAR, <laughs> I don't even know what NASCAR is called now. Monster energy, I think, which like it should have been called that all along for a number of sure. reasons, but it used to be called the Winston Cup, like in I think until around the chain, like the millennium. Like it was, it was literally the entire series was sponsored by cigarettes. That rocks. You know, I, I hope amazing. that I hope that there were, um, you know, dry, dry, I'm sure that there are clips of drivers like chiefing down cigarettes, like in the 70s or so, like Richard Petty. Oh, yeah. I'm there, sure there used to be a skull car into the 2000s. Ken Trader that skull rolls. Bandit. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, skull bandit. That's oh, it's so well, good. that's a well-known thing in NASCAR circles. The skull bandit. People know who that is. <laughs> And speaking, uh, speaking of bandits, you know, with, with it being Halloween, you know, we, we've touched on candy. I'm going to be Burt Reynolds from the film Smokey and the Bandit this weekend because I already have a mustache. Uh, I know that the reference may, may be lost on you, but uh, a, a yeah, quick I, I Google search will, will catch you. It's basically a movie where Burt Reynolds um, and then Sally Fields, who's a runaway bride, gets into his car. And Burt Reynolds has been tasked with um, bootlegging. 400 cases of Coors Banquet beer um, across the Mississippi, I want to say, because it, it, Coors wasn't sold or wasn't allowed to be sold east of the Mississippi at that time. So he had to just, you know, bootleg it and, and you know, the, the cops after him. And basically it just gives me license to not really put a ton of effort into my costume and just drink uh, Coors Banquet and like be pulling it off. That's ideal. I, I'm a longtime proponent of, minimalist costumes that don't obscure your face or require you to wear makeup or a mask, you know, something that's just going to kind of get like sweaty and warm and just kind of ruin your night uh, over the course of probably a, a couple nights, you know, if, if you're talking Halloween weekend. So I, I think mm-hmm. you're on the right track there. I'm trying to avoid dressing up this year. We'll see. Um, I, I have a pair of weddings the next two weekends after this one. So like everybody's like our whole friend group is kind of like trying to collectively take it easy which is working pretty well because I think I'm going to avoid like a big expectations for Halloween this year. Okay. That, that's good. Um, you, you know, you're, you're thinking ahead that that's smart. Um, I will say, and, and, you know, give you credit, give you a shout out. Cause I've even like t- told people about how good some of your costumes in the past have been, you know, the, the Rex Quando, um, I think is an iconic one. Uh, forget about it. And then I, I um, could, uh, I could post the photos in the, the article right up on the site. We'll see if I can dig anything up. Oh man, I, that would be that would be ideal. And then um, uh, date Mike, uh, I think, yep. are, are the two that really stand out in my mind as just powerful mm-hmm. whale and Halloween looks. The date Mike one was awesome. Uh, shout out to the Roman Coin Bar uh, in Milwaukee. the The bartender allowed me to jump up on the pool table to do the iconic Michael Scott pool stick as the guitar scene. <laughs> um, no one else seemed to understand what was going on, but it, it was like it was well worth the the ten seconds of confusion for the rest of the bar. Hundred percent, yeah, and, and then some. So, so well played, and shout out to them. Mm-hmm. All right, that was a good preamble. Our, our longest one of the season, easily, and I think that makes up for, uh, you know, kind of a slow week eight recap. I do want to talk Illinois, Penn State quickly. I was not zeroed in on this one at the time because I was I was very much focused on Wisconsin Purdue in the same window on Saturday, and I, I was collectively watching that game with some friends in in, in Janesville, Wisconsin, of all places. And all of a sudden, we they do a game break, and it's like Illinois is in nine OTs against Penn State, and they show they show the the box score, and it looks like a line score from a baseball game. Um, it was just one of the craziest things you'll ever see. I mean, I think a lot of people were not aware of the changes to overtime, so you know everybody's kind of used to these high scoring overtimes, where if anything, 
you know, if you're going into four or five overtimes, the score is just like comically bloated where like both teams are in the sixties or seventies. You very rarely see it this way where like neither team can convert anything. I know. So, so it's like a better's worst nightmare, right? Because, um, you know, I, I think even after all that hubbub, I still don't think the over hit in that game or, or if it did, it was like just by a nail. Um, so that, that was like, it was crazy to see it. I liken it to how baseball did the ghost runner um, at, for extra innings during the regular season. And my immediate thought is, dear God, if, if I had a team playing in this for in like a meaningful game, like if this was a playoff game or the SEC championship game, and I had this just kind of ridiculous left turn to how the game is being played, I would be furious. Yes. And, and, you know, like just I, I tweeted out during, the, I think, maybe the seventh overtime of this. And, and, you know, Illinois quarterback breaks his arm on this awful hit. And you're just like, good. Just, just put, put this game down. Um, I tweeted out the, this picture of, of Dr. Manhattan uh, from the Watchmen, and, and it's just the, the caption is just, I am tired of Earth, these people. I'm tired of being caught in the tangle of their lives. That's how I felt spending time watching Penn State, Illinois on Saturday. And that, that's pretty much the end of it. Ironically, that's how I felt watching Wisconsin for most of the season as well. <laughs> The, the funniest part of this by far, and I'm not the first one to point this out, is that, that they had to keep going to the other side of the field every time. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, like it was already just kind of like off the rails. And the <laughs> fact that that detail was added in and that they had to like, I think they had to choose between overtimes, you know, like, right. you know, which, which, you know, we're going to send them to the student <laughs> section to play offense type of thing is just right. so, oh, my God, it was such a clown show. Yeah. Yeah, that was I think that was actually the highlight of the weekend, honestly, overall in college football. I'm not really sure there's a, a close number two. Uh, we did talk last week about the possibility of Oklahoma State running the table and setting up this big showdown in Bedlam with Oklahoma. Uh, that is now eliminated. <laughs> they lose to Iowa State. That dream is over for me. Uh, Big 12 kind of remains a, a one team race and, and kind of a mess at that with Oklahoma barely surviving this game against Kansas, where they looked they look completely asleep for like the first 70 percent of this game. They, yes. I mean, uh, yeah, I tweeted for, from the Rotowire sports betting account that at halftime, Oklahoma's uh, the, the spread had just gone live to Oklahoma minus seven and a half, uh, you know, and they opened it as almost 40 point fa- or closed as almost 40 point favorites. And, you know, it, it's always fun in those type of situations to uh, keep an eye on the on the crazy win probability chart that ESPN will have. And at one point, Kansas did have like a win probability of 64%. It, it, it immediately went out the window, like the next drive. But even still, Kansas will always have that. They, they opened the gates for, for the entire town of Lawrence to come in and, and, you know, cheer on what would have been by the spread, the biggest upset yeah. uh, it maybe ever. Uh, certainly it was six points clear of the Michigan App State spread. Right. Um, so, so it would have been that level. It would have been absolutely insane. And, and um I guess the, the big play that everyone remembers is, is one that only gained two yards, but it kind of broke college football's brain uh, on, on Saturday. And that was Kennedy Brooks kind of getting stopped on fourth down and Caleb Williams just kind of sneaking up behind him and taking the ball and, and advancing it. Um, so it wasn't even quite like a rugby pitch. And he was standing like as side of him slash kind of in front of him. But it, they ruled it like a legal forward lateral behind the line of scrimmage, essentially. Um, and, and it allowed Williams and the Sooners to pick up a first down. And I think they ended up scoring on that drive and, and things kind of went from there. But that was a, like a crucial point in the game. And they had Brooks stopped. But Williams just kind of had the presence of mind to just like grab it from his teammate and just keep running with it. It was one of the more bizarre plays of the season, if not in, in recent years. Yeah, that was one where instantly you're like, wait, is that legal? And then you think about it, you're like, I don't see why it wouldn't be right. Like it, it's all about, I guess, like the angle of him ripping it away. Um, but it, it's, it, it reminded me of like the semi-pro like foul, two fouls, you know, like <laughs> the, 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 the preacher is just like so shocked that he doesn't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, precisely. So, so, I mean, like t- Twitter was just the entire um, like college football timeline, like the, the Rotowire list was just all people very very confused and all asking that same question is that legal and then the referees upheld it so so there we were wake forest put 70 on army uh which also responded with plenty of points of its own not a great sign for that wisconsin offense that's all i'll say about that um i don't have much to say about cincy navy you know like i said at the top um obviously if you're cincinnati you want to keep piling up wins by as much as possible 
Um, but, you know, just continuing to rack up those wins and, and not tripping up is by far uh, the most important thing. Right. We did see Oregon go on the road as, I believe, a road dog, despite being ranked, right? Yes. Uh, and, and topple Chip Kelly and the UCLA Bruins. Yeah, and, and you know, it got real close there at the end. Um, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson got knocked out late in that one, and, and their second quarterback was out. So I think they had to bring in Ethan Garbers, uh, the, the brother of Chase Garbers up at Cal. And, uh, you know, he, he orchestrated like a pretty decent looking drive. And then he, he threw the the interception that ended up losing it. And it kind of looked like he was puking on the field. Couldn't really tell afterward, but that was his moment. Um, but yeah, Oregon survives once again. So that, you know, they have everything in front of them as well, but they continue to do so in like the least impressive fashion possible, especially relative to a team that went into, into Columbus and beat what kind of, to me, looks like the number two team in the country um, if you're just doing eye tests. So, um, yeah, Oregon just it, it keeps going. And, and uh, you know, my, my last comment on that game was um, Bill Walton on game day is just a, an absolute treat. We need to make sure that UCLA stays relevant enough to get a, at least one game day a year because what Walton like barking on my TV or just like just speaking about the topography of the state of Utah when like asked about the the Utah game, just th- that's the stuff I look for. <laughs> it's one or the other with, with Bill Walton, right? Like people are either like, that was the greatest thing I've listened to, or I can't stand this, get this guy off my TV. Um, I, I, I tend to be okay with it. I, I think I prefer him, you know, like those early season college basketball tournaments where he's yeah. in Maui or in Atlantis or something, just kind of going off, spouting off. I, I don't know if like international boundaries you know like he can say different things that he wouldn't be able to say um if the tournament's taking place outside of the u.s but it does kind of seem that way where it's just like a, a three hour long like what is he going to say here like I, I i'm partially feeling bad for like dave pash who's like trying to rein him in but at the same time you're, you're not even watching the game you're just watching to see like how many uh fcc violations could potentially be coming yeah I, yeah pash pash being the, the straight man while while um while walton is just going like i remember it was either last year or two years ago that there was one direct quote from Walton is just like, you ever been in a volcano? Just, <laughs> just, that was it. And I was just like, like this possible? is, this is great. I, you know, it, if it's possible for anyone, I, I would imagine Bill is like one enough with the lava, like has enough street cred with, with like mm-hmm. the, the gurgling earth underneath to, to where, um, to where like the, he can get in some lava and they, they, it wouldn't burn him. Yeah. If there's one person I could picture like snowboarding, down a bunch of lava, like a live lava flow into a volcano. It would be him. Let's turn our attention to week nine. We get Troy and Coastal tonight. Coastal trying to bounce back from that stunning loss uh, to John McKechnie's Appalachian State uh, Mountaineers right. last year, or last year, last week. Uh, but we're, we're finally treated to a pretty good week here. Right? A couple down weeks, the last two, uh, but we get Michigan, Michigan State in the early window. We get Iowa, Wisconsin in the early window. We get Georgia, Florida in the afternoon, Ole Miss and Auburn, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, lost a little bit of its luster. Uh, that game looked like it was going to be quite a bit bigger a couple weeks ago, but nonetheless, you know, a, a top 20 matchup there. Uh, Ohio State, though, almost a three-touchdown favorite in that one, minus 18 and a half uh, as of this afternoon. Uh, where do you want to start? Those are the five games I picked out. You, you can start with any of those or or any one that you want to highlight that I may have overlooked. Um, yeah, let, let's um, let's go ahead and start with, with the – is it the battle for Paul Bunyan? Not correct. not his axe, yeah, just for Paul Bunyan. Just for uh, like between the rights to his body, yeah. Correct. Yes. Um, so Michigan, Michigan State. I'm really, really looking forward to this one. You know, we we've been kind of circling this one on previous pods for a couple of weeks now. Um, just as far as the Big Ten and specifically the Big Ten East needing to have some separation time, needing to finally start meeting up with each other and we start to really see, you know, how this separates out. Michigan four or four and a half point favors, depending on, on where you're looking, going into East Lansing. It's a really interesting matchup because Michigan State, if there's one glaring weakness it has, it's in the secondary. But Michigan just doesn't feel like they're particularly interested in throwing the ball. I, I don't think that they trust their quarterback at all. And 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 having lost um, their top receiver in the in the opening week of the game or opening week of the season. Uh, that that's kind of compounded on itself. So they just have a, a bunch of guys who are efficient on a per target basis, but they they just don't throw the ball enough. They just don't feel confident in passing it. So I feel like Michigan sticks to its guns here and, and sticks to the Hassan Haskins, Blake Corm show um, to, to really drive the offense. It obviously worked really well against a bad 
uh, Northwestern defense last week, but Michigan State is good against the run. So I'm interested to see if Michigan um, finally feels compelled to, to test out things through the air because Michigan State, that secondary is shaky enough to where they could hit a play or two and really kind of change the, the course of this game. And then, you know, you, you look at when Michigan State has the ball and for, for once, you know, since we've been doing this podcast, Michigan State has not been fun to watch at all, specifically on offense. This year, totally different. Peyton Thorne has done a great job. Jaden Reed's a, a big play waiting to happen. Jalen Naylor, a lot of fun as well. And of course, the, you know, the Wake Forest transfer, Kenneth Walker, um, putting himself, you know, lightly into the Heisman race with, with how he's done. Um, I don't feel good about him for this week. I don't feel good about this Michigan State offense overall. Um, I think that they're, they're going to need to abandon that run sooner rather than later. And that, that becomes an issue because if you get into obvious passing down situations against Michigan, you get Aiden Hutchinson and the rest of that Wolverine defense bearing down on you and being able to pin their ears back. That could get tricky. Um, so as it stands, I like Michigan to, to cover that one. Um, but you know, that this one, this one I do think is going to live up to the billing. This, this should be the best Michigan, Michigan state game since probably, uh, that one that, that ended in the blocked punt that, that, uh, broke that guy's hip, but ultimately kind of helped springboard Michigan state, um, into the playoff back in 2015. Oh, I, re I remember that fondly. That was, that was the day I, I went to Notre Dame USC and, uh, one of our buddies got a little too rowdy and we were asked to leave early, unfortunately. Um, Rowdy, I, remember, Rowdy? I remember streaming that game, walking into the stadium and being like, God, you, you guys are not going to believe what just happened here. Like, I, I think they somehow managed to fumble this punt, block it back for a touchdown. That was that was an underrated, disastrous play. Like, I feel like that came and went too quickly. It did because Michigan was, was totally like – I thought that the, they went into that game as like two touchdown favorites, if I remember correctly, or, or something close to it, maybe maybe 12. Um, and that, that was my first year, like first fall, like working in the RotoWire office. And I was so tuned into it and so excited. And, and the, I mean, that game just ended up being crazy. I could not believe that Michigan State, you know, it, it was, I, I think that's where the Surrender Cobra um, originated. Yes. I believe that that is the origin story of the, of the Surrender Cobra. So this game has given us a lot over the years. There, there's been some stomping on logos, um, all sorts of stuff. So that no love lost here. Uh, these two fan bases really, really hate each other. And I love that as a neutral observer. So um, really looking forward to that one. I love that that's the noon game to, to kind of get things kicked off. Yeah. But where are you with, with uh, Wisconsin after, after putting Purdue back in its place, as it were? You know, we talked about last week how Purdue ranked for the first time since 2007. So just crushed their dreams right away. Uh, but you get to play Iowa, who Purdue beat. You want to get into all sorts of crazy transitive properties here. That, that seems to bode well for Wisconsin, who is favored here in Madison. Yeah, there's been a lot of transitive property here. That's like really the only way to justify like, is Wisconsin good? Like, well, no, based on what they've showed us, they're not good. But based on what other teams have showed against other teams, Wisconsin might be good. Yeah. Uh, but here we are yet again, back in, I believe Wisconsin is in the control your own destiny zone. And that's really all you can ask, given the disastrous start to the season. Uh, if they beat Iowa, they are going to have the inside track to once again, going to the Big Ten title game and once again, getting waxed by whichever team comes out of the East because after this it's Rutgers, it's Northwestern, it's Nebraska. And then you finish at Minnesota, the usual Thanksgiving weekend game. They're definitely liable to lose any of those games. I would say, especially the, the Nebraska or Minnesota game. So it's not like it's a cakewalk the rest of the way, but if you find a way to beat Iowa and, and once again, John, they are inexplicably favored in this game. I, I know Iowa, you know, like I, I think that loss to Purdue it really felt like it exposed Iowa, but everybody was pretty high on that team before that game. And they were certainly playing better than Wisconsin before that game. And I don't, I don't know that I want to use like as much as I love the transitive property. And as much as I, I think it helps Wisconsin uh, one game transitive property is a, a little bit of a limited sample. I don't, I, I think Purdue played like its best game in legitimately almost 15 years against Iowa. And it was back to just being normal Purdue against Wisconsin like I, to me this does not all of a sudden warrant unranked Wisconsin which did not even receive a single vote in in either poll this week being a three and a half point favorite at home I frankly I don't think I don't think the Camp Randall advantage has really been there this year I think this, this isn't me trying to like call out a bunch of college hoodlums but like they I don't even know if they filled up the student section yet it, it hasn't felt um, I will say I, Wisconsin fans can, can tend to be a little bit fickle like when the team's good the fans are awesome if, if they're not really feeling the vibe of the team, it's not it's not like one of those student sections that's just going to be there no matter what. That's too bad because, you know, Camp Randall, when it is rocking, it, it doesn't get much better. And, you know, I, I think we can still both at least remember fr from week one 
uh, that that Penn State that first jump around in two years that that was absolutely electric. But but yeah, I mean, um, I, I understand on a human level a little bit of apathy with when like the the natty and and stuff is kind of just off your plate and it, and October's not even over yet. Um, I, I guess the one sort of looking at the stats detail of this game that that would concern me for Wisconsin and we've talked about it with Iowa and, and how reliant they are on on turning other teams over. Wisconsin does rank 124th in turnover margin, which I think is concerning. So if they don't, if they don't take care of the ball, this is a problem. But if they do take care of the ball, then Iowa has shown that they have a hard time just beating people straight up. They they need the other team to make mistakes, and I think you've kind of found, you know, I, I think lo- losing Jalen Berger, if you told me that was going to happen before the season, I, I would have said that this backfield's in deep trouble. But but Braylon Allen seems to be the the next guy. Um, for for Wisconsin, and that's not even including Ches Malusi, who's been awesome. Braylon Allen is a certified hoss. There's no two ways about it. Like, he <laughs> is that guy like, to be that built at that age. Like, wasn't really even recruited necessarily as a running back. Like, he played a lot of defense. Um, you know, coming out of, of Fond du Lac in Wisconsin, but I mean, he looks the part. I, I never like Malusi watching him all year. You know, I've, I've compared him more to like, like I think he's closer to Corey Clement than he is Monty Ball or Melvin Gordon or Jonathan Taylor. You know, there's kind of there's been a couple of tiers of Wisconsin running backs and he just doesn't quite have that explosion. Like Corey Clement was a good back. I think he ended up being what, like a fifth round pick in the NFL. Yeah. Like Malusi feels like he's on that level. Whereas Braylon Allen, I mean, I, I don't know what his ultimate NFL potential is. Like there's not a ton of speed there, but like he at least like he, he's a problem for other teams. Like I, Malusi doesn't really stand out to me. Like he's, he's replaceable. Like he, he looks like 50 other backs throughout the country. Like Braylon Allen stands out in the way that a lot of other Wisconsin running backs have stood out. I mean, he's more like John Clay, I guess, than, than uh, Monty Ball or or Melvin Gordon. But he at least seems to to bring a little more. I wouldn't. Even, I wouldn't even say excitement because it's not like he's juking guys out or anything. But there there just seems to be a little more like mm, that's uh, MMPH when he's in the game. So yeah, I, I would describe Braylon Allen as rocked up, rocked up, big time rock guy. Yeah, planet so- fitness warrior. Yes, hundred percent. Yes, setting off the lunk alarm in the second that he walks in there. So yeah, six two two thirty eight, averaging almost seven and a half yards a carry. Like, yeah, certified hoss, like you said. And like, there's no real better authority if you're a listener on this that than you to talk about like having that knowledge of of just being able to feel when this guy is, is the next guy at Wisconsin. Yep. It feels like Allen has that guy. He's got that stamp. Right. Well, and like you said, it felt like it was going to be Berger and, you know, things deteriorated pretty quickly there. Still not 100% clear what happened, but nope. uh, I think Braylon Allen's the guy for now until the next guy arrives, at least. Um, that, I don't, that's enough Wisconsin talk. Honestly, I this team has just been so frustrating to watch. If, if I know for a fact, though, if they win this game at home, especially if they do it in semi-convincing fashion, I will be 100% back in. Um, so we, we would have that to look forward to for the Week 10 preview. Um, one more point on Michigan, Michigan State, by the way. So, you know, you mentioned the passing game, like Michigan's running the ball almost 50 times a game. How much are they going to be willing to get away from that? I think is the question. Will they need to ultimately? And I think the answer is probably yes. But is this now Michigan's latest and perhaps best chance to be back? Like they, the last couple of years, I don't know that they've had a lot of, a lot of chances to, to even earn that title or be in that conversation. But, you know, every three or four years, they seem to have a game like this. And if they beat Michigan State, you would think it'd be pretty smooth sailing the next three or four weeks leading up to that showdown with Ohio state in the final week of big 10 play. Right. Exactly. So, so they could be like, I thought that that, that team, the Dwayne Haskins, Ohio state year. So I guess 2018 um, Michigan, I think might've been undefeated going into that game, but they, they felt a little bit more fraudulent. Like th- this time around um, it seems like they're a little bit more legit. I think that this, this is other than the 2004, 16 team that ended up going to the orange bowl um, against Florida state. I think this is probably the, the best Michigan team under Harbaugh. They do have to go at Penn state. Uh, they do get Mich- or I'm sorry. They do get Ohio state at home. Uh, so that that's a factor of course, but um, I, if they get through this one, I think this is the toughest game that they have remaining other than Ohio state. Yeah. By far. I put, I put this as, as tougher than, than, um, than the Penn state one, even though that, that will be, uh, that will carry its own, um, degree of difficulty as well, but yeah, I, this it like you're saying, man. Like that, this is a, a Michigan team that that it needs a little bit more of a feather in its cap. I wouldn't say that there's one win that you can really point to and be like, man, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, getting this one, I think, would go a long way toward towards 
garnering that that national respect right. um, that, that really like fuels that that Michigan hype train going going into November. Well, and ironically, I think you could say the same thing about Michigan State, right? I mean, you have the win over Miami, but that doesn't really look it didn't really look all that great at the time because Miami kind of fell flat on its face and it, it hasn't aged all that well either. So, you know, they, they probably have a slightly better resume than Michigan right now, but it's one of those games where nothing would really shock me because even though both of these teams are undefeated and ranked in the top eight in the country, it still feels like we don't really know them at all. Like they're, they're almost in that same category as Oklahoma state, you know, that we talked about last week where mm-hmm. like, you're not really shocked that they lose to unranked Iowa state because we haven't really seen them tested. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, Oklahoma State was touchdown dogs in that one that, themselves, right. dis- despite being undefeated. So I, I think that's a really good comp where where you can see teams ranked this high at this stage of the season, just kind of by virtue of the schedule gods being good to them. And, and right. now we start to now we start to see what where rubber meets the road. Yeah, both of these teams might be good. They also might not. We have, we have no idea. And luckily, we they get to play each other, and and one of them is going to come out of this undefeated. Uh, Florida. Two-point underdogs at home against Georgia. They're playing this one uh, at the house that Fred Taylor built in Jacksonville. What, are, right. what are they officially calling this game now? Oh, well, I mean, we we don't um, we don't acknowledge anything other than the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah, I, why, and why did that go away? Like, what was that about? Um, I, I think it's it's because uh, alcohol. You know, alcohol is clearly not part of college football culture or anything so so if you just take the take cocktail out of it and call it like the river showdown or whatever the heck they they tried to rebrand it as uh then people will will forget that alcohol exists and that they they simply will not party or be rowdy at this game but but no um it just a poo poo to to that and, and shame on anyone tried to try to try to strip that from this because that, that's still what what anybody calls it but yeah um Quick spread correction. Uh, apologies to do this on air, but I'm seeing Georgia minus 14 um, for for the most part. Um, yeah, isn't that isn't that what I said? I saw, I think Florida oh, was I thought two you said two dogs. Point, two touchdown dogs. My my yeah, bad. Should yeah, should have read between the lines there. Um, but yes. Uh, so there. Uh, so we got a two touch, and we have two really interesting situations. And both these coaches, I'm so done with them as far as like, I, I need to hear nothing about this game until three 30 on Saturday. Yeah, we, like, we have no idea who's going to be at quarterback taking snaps for either of these teams. I don't know when that news, if it's going to come out. Oh yeah. It's going to be a giant headache for me on, on news on Saturday. Like it's going to be a joke. I, I, I guarantee you I'll slam my head into my desk uh, right at kickoff. Um, but yeah, the, my sense is that, you know, Dan Mullen, I, I quote tweeted him yesterday, uh, his famous in-depth quote saying, there will be a quarterback on Saturday. Thank you, Dan. Uh, good stuff there. Um, but Georgia has also kind of been playing coy because JT Daniels has been getting closer to being healthy over these last few weeks, hasn't played since I don't think Vanderbilt. Uh, so that, that's a while ago now. So there's some some rust concern there, although there was rust concern on, on Daniels when he, when he took over um, last season. All that being said, my thinking is that Georgia just goes – if Daniels is good to go, Daniels starts and he plays the whole game, and, and that that's just kind of how, how this one shakes out. Whereas Florida, I fully expect them to employ the, the, the two-quarterback system. I think Emory Jones starts, but um, I would be shocked. Like, beyond, like I, I just fully expect there to be multiple packages, if not multiple series – who knows if he plays well enough, then then he's just going to take over. And I'm talking, of course, about Anthony Richardson. He was someone that we talked about a lot early on in this season because his numbers were just chaos. I mean, like, you know, averaging 50 yards per run and 30 yards per pass attempt, albeit against FAU and, and South Florida. But that guy is the type of guy that it's hard. to You can game plan all you want, but at the end of the day, he if he's the best athlete on the field, that's just kind of hard to – contend with and you know we, we've seen over the course of years uh if there's like a, a, a quibble you can have with kirby smart defenses is how they defense um super athletic quarterbacks so um i, I would imagine that that florida has richardson fully primed and ready to go and that they've got some crazy stuff lined up um all of this is to say that that i don't necessarily expect georgia to cover this spread i think that this is a florida offense that is going to test the Georgia defense in a way that it hasn't been tested this year. Um, I think you Georgia has played better overall teams. I think Arkansas is a better team. I, 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 Kentucky obviously beat Florida, so you give the the deference 
to them. And you know, Clemson, I don't even know what to make of that win anymore necessarily, but doesn't really need to be talked about too much. But I think Florida's offense is, is definitely the best and the most dangerous uh, of that grouping. Like Tennessee, or, I'm sorry, Kentucky, just like what they do, the kind of bully ball stuff, like you're not going to be able to pull that off against Georgia with inferior offensive line talent and inferior athletes. Like that's just not how that works. But Florida doesn't have the the superior um, like line or anything, but they, they have better, more creative and dynamic play calling. I, I think one other kind of detail here that, that might leave Florida a little bit shorthanded is they don't have a real like, the last few years that they've had not only Kadarius Tony, but they, they've had a handful of other guys who are having cups of coffee in the NFL, you know, whether it's like a Freddie Swain and that that's not even mentioning Kyle Pitts, um, you know, a whole bunch of other stuff there. So um, I, I just don't think that Florida has those classic Florida receivers that, that really uh, will, will make them threaten necessarily um, this, uh, this upset. Yeah. Andre Coldwell, not walking through that door. Florida, Florida no, Gators. Uh, I, I like Georgia here as well. Uh, I, I think, you know, this number makes sense. I, I would, I think it's going to probably come in right around two touchdowns. Wouldn't be surprised if Georgia wins this by 13, wins it by 17. I think somewhere in that range, uh, you're on the right track there. Uh, we have Penn State, Ohio State. 18 and a half is the spread uh, of, of, of course, in favor of Ohio State. Uh, that's the last I've seen. With the caveat being that these last four games for Ohio State have come against Akron, Rutgers, Maryland and Indiana, uh, the point still stands that this Ohio State defense is starting to look quite a bit better. 44 combined points allowed in those games, uh, only allowing about 260 total yards per game uh, to those four teams. Sean Clifford is expected to play in this one for Penn State. Uh, at the same time, Penn State ranks 100th in the country in rushing, and, and Ohio State's defense is starting to come around. And, and I just, I don't think Penn State's going to have as disastrous of a showing as we saw last week against Illinois. But at the same time, I think that's also one of those losses that really takes the wind out of your sails. You're coming into this one banged up all the numbers, you know, favor Ohio state and dramatically in some cases. Um, I, I think this is probably Ohio state in a romp. Yeah. I, th I think Ohio state uh, just, I think they set the tone right away and I, th I think they just kind of roll Penn state. I, I just don't really see Penn state, Penn State could win this one if they get into like a defensive battle and they keep it low scoring. Uh, I think their offense will hold up that end of that. But I, I think that the the defense, while it's very good, Ohio State's offense is really starting to click. And Trevion Henderson is an absolute dude. Like he watching him just a little bit last week for for whatever reason we had ohio state indiana in like our remote rotation so i, I was at my grandparents and pop-ups on the clicker and uh you know we're flipping around nlcs and then the the channel that would always be on last was espn and i guess that was the ohio state indiana game so we would check back so i saw more of that game than i really wanted to at all but anytime it just looked like this this beat down uh from ohio state and specifically from henderson in the rain, just taking Indiana's will to live constantly. Um, so Penn State has that to deal with. And then if they load up to stop him, CJ Stroud's starting to play better. And I mean, the 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 trio of Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is just nuts. And then of course they have the presence, the just the sheer aura of Marvin Harrison Jr. as well. I don't think he really plays, but he's he's there. Um so all all of that uh combined to say that I think Ohio State um, kind of makes a statement out of this one and really uh, puts Penn State out. And then, then you know, I, I don't feel like James Franklin is all that interesting of a topic or, or a coach or anything, but um, his his antics in press conferences this week has been pretty bad as far as like, we're really focused on Illinois. It's like, you just played Illinois, you idiot. And then he said, they're like, you're going to the big house. Like, oh, well, you're playing at, at the horseshoe, but um, so, so I think, yeah, I think we're going to start to see, um, the, the beginning of the end for Franklin at Penn state as, as he starts looking for real estate out in Los Angeles, but that, that, that's kind of my, my bottom line on this one. All right. What's your read on Ole Miss Auburn, Auburn at home in this one, two and a half point favorites, um, you know, essentially a, a, a pick them on a neutral field. I, I still, I, I think I still like Ole Miss. I mean, the over-under in this one is justifiably 65 and a half should be another really entertaining game to watch as it always is when Ole Miss is involved. Um, how much of a chance do you give Auburn to slow down that offense? 
I give them a pretty good chance. You know, if Ole Miss, if their offense was at full strength, then I would I would kind of lean a little bit more towards Ole Miss. But uh, the the receivers are banged up, uh, and Corral himself is banged up, and and he doesn't seem like the type of guy that really knows how to manage it or, or you know like take a play off that this type of thing. like he was getting he was running around they, they ran him on a pattern last week like they threw him the ball and it's just like this feels like you're playing with fire Ole Miss like you, he's not that big of a guy and he's getting just ragdolled every get every time he gets touched by these LSU defenders it's like you're you're just you're tempting fate a little bit with with how physical you're going to be with him obviously they didn't run him 30 times like they did the week before, but it's like you also ran Matt Corral 30 times at all in a, uh, in a game that that's crazy to me. So I think Auburn wins this one. I think that, you know, on its surface, you might be surprised to see Ole Miss favorite on, or, um, or Auburn favorite in this one, but Auburn at night is kind of a wild environment. L- or Ole Miss hasn't played all that well on the road this year. I think that Auburn wins this one and, and starts to kind of creep back into that conversation and that they theoretically control their own destiny. At, at, you know, sort they're sort of like Wisconsin in that like it hasn't been pretty, but it's still kind of there in front of them to, to win their division. Um, so they get this win and, you know, people, the, the conversation about Auburn really, really starts to, to change. So I, I do expect Bo Nix to, to show up. Um, and do weird Bo Nix things, but I think it'll be like good Bo Nix. There's always the the two Bo Nixes inside of every man, but um, the, I think this one will be the the good Bo Nix. He's just he plays in such a chaotic, frenetic fashion, and I think it, it might be enough to just kind of confuse that Ole Miss defense. And and even if they're loading up against the pass, you give Nix enough time to operate back there and and just kind of make something happen. He can absolutely do that, and he can absolutely burn you. So. Um, I, I do like Auburn in this one. I didn't think coming into the week, I would feel like this, but here we are. Yeah. Another just bizarre season for Auburn. Uh, I wouldn't really expect anything else at this point where it's just like every single week is, is some sort of dramatic roller coaster, and, and yet here they are. I think the Wisconsin comparison is, is kind of apt where there are times where you're like, everybody needs to be fired. We need to clean house. We need to start over with a brand new roster. And then five weeks later, you're like, we might make the SEC title game. It's it's totally ridiculous. I mean, you know, Harson, he didn't feel like a good SEC fit, but you know, and yeah. then you you know, you watch that Georgia State game on that one crazy Saturday where like so many other things were happening, and then it's like, wait a second, like Auburn is about to lose to Georgia State, and then they pulled it out of the fire. They even benched Bo Nix during that game. I like wasn't sure if they were gonna start TJ Finley that next week at LSU, but then again, you know, they, they I think they gave Georgia its toughest game of the year thus far. And, you know, Jordan Hare is, is a pretty crazy place to play, a pretty uh, distinct home field advantage. And, and at night, I think that that's going to be enough to um, to maybe uh, end up coming out on top over Ole Miss. All right, let's turn our attention to the DFS slate on Saturday. We got 14 games included in the DK main slate. Uh, those, of course, kick off in the noon hour. Um, we can use this to, to kind of highlight some other games maybe that we haven't touched on yet, but... Um, specifically for DFS purposes, what games are you looking to target? Right. So it, we we get 14 this week. So that's a little bit more than than what we're, we're used to seeing. You, you know, usually you, you get treated to about 12 on a main slate. Um, so this is a funky one. I mean, Wake Forest, who we touched on briefly at the beginning, hanging 70 points on Army and not just doing that, but they did it in like 18 minutes of total possession. And that, that a lot of that had to do with the fact that Army, the Jimmies and Joes, uh, just can't really tackle the, like, it's not like Wake has crazy athletes, but like they have like high three stars. And that's just more than what Army has to contend with in the back end. So uh, that explained a lot of those big shot plays that, that ended up landing for Wake Forest. And this week, I mean, they're going to get a lot of gravitational pull towards them just based on the fact that they were all able to hit all those plays and hang such a huge number on Army. And I think it's good chalk. I think this week going up against Duke, Duke really has a pathetic defense. I mean, they, they give up almost uh, 280 passing yards per game, uh, giving up over 160 yards per game on the ground. So there's a lot of ways that you can approach this Wake Forest offense. Of course, you're going you're gonna to have to pay a pretty penny for it, Hartman was a value last week. Now he's checking in at 9K. Um, the only court starting quarterback that that's uh, salaried ahead of him is, is, of course, Caleb Williams checking in at 10, going up against Texas Tech. So I like Pittman. 
Uh, the unfortunate thing is it's it's tough to stack him because uh, the top two salaried receivers on the board are both Jaquari Robertson um, and A.T. Perry, and they combine for almost 50% of those targets. So it's not like they're spreading the ball around a lot. I mean, like Taylor Morin, he's averaging 10 yards a target, but he only saw one target last week. Keyshawn Williams averaging over 10 yards a target, but just saw two targets. So it really, really is that narrow tar- target tree. And it's going to be hard to make a, a full, fully stacked Wake Forest lineup. So bear in mind that when, when you're approaching it, maybe you just go Hartman solo. Um, but it, it's kind of a coin flip between uh, A.T. Perry and Roberson as to who's going to have a good week most of the time. Last week, obviously, both did. But it's tricky. It's tricky. So that I will I will have a lineup or two that that is heavy Wake but not all of them because I, I just think it's going to be a little bit too tricky to figure out um, or too cost prohibitive and the rest of your lineup ends up suffering as a result. Um, Kenny Pickett's a little bit interesting. You'll, you'll have to pay attention to the weather, um, but he's inserted himself into the Heisman campaign. He's getting draft buzz now, Nick, which is um, oh no, interesting times that we're living in. Right. Um, so he's there. Um, Desmond Ritter. He's someone that always is appealing to me at face value because he he's never going against good teams more often than not. I mean, other than, other than uh, the Notre Dame game, but it just doesn't feel like he, he produces quite to the level that, that we're kind of envisioning. And he's really only averaging over 20 fantasy points per game on, on DraftKings. That's not super impressive. Tulane is bad defensively. So this might be a decent time to buy low on Cincy because people might be feeling a little bit burned after last week. So Ritter, but I, I think Ritter solo is, is the way to approach that. Uh, the, the receiving rotation there uh, on the other end of, of like Wake Forest, where it's like so concentrated, uh, Cincy too spread out um, as far as how they distribute their targets to, to really feel comfortable about any of those guys. I guess Alec Pierce would be the one that you'd go after, but not feeling great about that necessarily. Adrian Martinez, I think, it, it is going to be uh, someone who I'm locking into a good amount of my lineups. 8,200. I know Purdue is like decent defensively, but. Nebraska's at home. Um, I believe they're coming off a bye. I just like this setup a lot um, for for him. So I'm kind of just trending chalky or or up towards the top of the board um, as far as quarterback goes. But as I'll get to here in a minute, that that makes things tricky as far as navigating um, running back because running back prices are wild. Uh, JT Daniels is interesting to me just because he's 6,500. Um, and, and again, it's a bet that he's going to play the whole game. Uh, Jordan Travis of Florida State, athletic guy, starting to put up some numbers. Clemson, I think they're kind of officially on quit watch now. It is at Clemson, but this is like Florida State Super Bowl. So um, I think Clemson playing not to lose, Florida State playing to win. I, I look at Jordan Travis and some rushing production there. Um, and what, what also – um, you wouldn't expect it to be high volume, but if the weather's okay, Brock, Brock Purdy of, of Iowa State, just 6,400, and he's been really efficient this year. He's completing like 75% of his passes. Would Kenny Pickett be the worst Heisman finalist of all time? Right now, he's fourth in the odds, and, and they kind of vary how many guys they end up bringing to New York uh, year to year, so it's not like he's a lot to be there, but I mean, it's trending that way. Like he, I think he might be the worst guy to ever, or like the least exciting player i guess to to ever have a legitimate shot at this he, yeah I, I he's he would be right there i mean it, it would be meme worthy the way that like toby gerhardt was you know well, toby almost won it yeah I mean, I mean at least he had the numbers it's like nobody i don't think anybody thought like we had we got the next uh adrian peterson here with toby gerhardt but like he was still he was like a star at the college level he was a borderline household name that season i don't know that kenny pickett has that kind of cachet yeah, they're they're trying to make it happen with Pickett as far as the media goes. Uh, I mean, I I love the story and like he he's like to me he'll always be the kid that uh, the morning after Thanksgiving in 2017, Miami rolling. They uh they had just like completely destroyed Notre Dame the, the week prior in primetime. Miami's back, the turnover chain, all that stuff. And they go. They kind of just sleepwalk into Pitt. Pitt has to go to this true freshman because their their quarterback is hurt. Turns out it's Kenny Pickett, and he delivers the the upset win and kind of derails Miami's season. And they 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 kind of really haven't recovered from that game, honestly. So it's amazing. We're like four years past that, and like Pickett kind of had some pretty anonymous years. I mean, like for for you, the neutral college football observer, like have you heard much of Kenny Pickett from twenty eighteen through twenty twenty? 
Uh, if you're asking me, no, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I was not aware of him almost on any level uh, coming into this year. And I saw I saw Narduzzi on on ESPN earlier this week caping for him, saying he should be he's absolutely in the Heisman race. And uh, well, the odds. I mean, he's twelve to one right now. The odds would indicate that he's one hundred percent correct. Well, we've been crapping on this Heisman race all year, and uh, yeah. you know what? What drives that point home better than Kenny Pickett? No right. offense to Kenny. Pickett. We were in, we were in on this early bad Heisman yeah. race. We we called it from like week two. Yes, seriously though, and, and so uh, yes, some bad packing or some back padding. Uh, it, it's certainly in order for for us for for being ahead of the curve there. Uh, but speaking of, you know, I, I was talking about Bijan Robinson uh, as a Heisman dark horse. Texas is kind of fallen on its face to the point where, where that's probably out the window, unfortunately, but Bijan Robinson uh, tees off the, the running back slate this week, this running back slate. It's so brutal in the sense that like, you know, your pay, like the top four guys are higher salaried than like every other quarterback other than Caleb Williams on this slate. So if you want to go premium at running back, they make it really, really tough on you for the rest of your uh, lineup build. So Bijan leads it off at, at 9,700 Deuce Vaughn. Uh, I would have loved him at like 8,800, something like that, but he's at 9,400. He might, I, I think I'll still have some lineup exposure to, to Deuce Vaughn because he's such a good pass catcher and this is PPR and TCU is just so bad defensively. They're, they're really kind of just like imploding right now. So that's interesting, but again, it, he is a bit cost prohibitive at, at 9,400. So I'm a little bit more inclined to go. And Brees Hall has been doing well, and Jerome Ford, of course, um, getting Tulane. I'll probably have at least a Jerome Ford Ford share and at least one Brees Hall. But Travis Die against Colorado, really like that. You know, with CJ Verdell being out, Die um, is someone that, that is scoring touchdowns at a pretty high rate. I don't think that Oregon scores a lot of touchdowns other than uh, on the ground. So. Five touchdowns in his last two games, of course, the four last week, and he also caught four passes. So I don't expect him to be held to 35 yards like he was a week ago, certainly not by Colorado. Um, I, I'm probably avoiding guys like, like Jalen Knighton. You know, if you caught lightning in a bottle last week and used him in, in the night slate, then obviously you were super happy with that, but you're not paying 8K for Jalen Knighton um, against Pitt like on the road. Like I, I don't think that that's a winning recipe for a lineup. Uh, Mateo Durant. Uh, he's kind of the engine of Duke's offense. He's 7,700. If Duke does anything offensively on, on Saturday, it's probably going to flow through Durant. Um, I'll get to some other guys there, but I do like Durant a fair bit as part of getting exposure to, to what should be um, one of the, or the uh, highest scoring game on the slate there with, with a implied to or a total um, of 70. I love Abram Smith at 7,200 Baylor's running back. Texas's defense terrible against the run. We've seen that time and time again. So Smith converted linebacker runs like it. Um, just real physical. I, I don't think that UT uh, really wants that smoke. So that's in Waco. I do like Abram um, a fair bit. If you want to get a piece of that backfield from Wake Forest, Christian Beal Smith is an interesting way of going about that. Will Shipley at 5,700. Clemson's running back got back last week, averaged over five yards per carry against Pitt. I think that his workload increases this week and Florida State's run defense is bad. But I, I think my big one for this week, Nick, and th this isn't coming through red and black colored glasses, but I think the runway is clear for Zamir White to, to really have a huge game because Florida, we've seen them get run all over before this year. Uh, they, they gave up the record setting game against uh, Tyrion Davis Price of LSU just a few weeks back. Um I think the problem with Zamir White, and if you're just like box score scouting, is that the volume hasn't been there, and, and therefore like the the rushing totals haven't necessarily been there for him. But you have to remember that Georgia's been playing in a lot of uncompetitive games, so they haven't had to feed Zamir White very much. Uh, they're coming off the bye, so he'll be fresh. And then the 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 added wrinkle here is that Kendall Milton is out, and he's the only other like true between the tackles runner that Georgia trusts. So with him being sidelined, I think that Zeus pushes for 20 upwards of 25 carries potentially. And, and at 6K, getting that type of volume against a run defense that's as bad as Florida's, that that to me is like it's going to be hard for me to make a lineup uh, that I like a lot that, that doesn't include him. So that that's kind of my, my read on, on how uh, running back goes. I'm not really uh, bargain bin shopping too, too much at, at the running back spot. I'm, I'm more inclined to do that generally. Um, at, at receiver. 
I like it. Well, speaking of receiver, we got a pair of Wake Forest pass catchers at the top of the list in terms of pricing this week. Jakari Roberson, A.T. Perry, both those guys went off last week. Roberson went for over 40 DraftKings points, had three touchdown catches. Uh, we keep harping on this Wake-Duke game. Um, are, are either of those guys low enough in price or both You know that you feel like pulling the trigger? So I, I think that you can really – like you can play one of them – and only one of them along with Hartman, but that, you know, that it almost like seals the deal that it's going to be the other guy that goes off, or at least like, that's how my like DFS brain works. Um, so you would have to theoretically um, use a Hartman Roberson Perry and like maybe a skew going quarterback at super flex. Maybe that you could make it work that way. That That's kind of how I would envision that build just because you're tying up such a high percentage of your salary in three guys and, and in one game. And they, again, I'm not saying that in a vacuum, any of these guys won't pay off, be it uh, Hartman, Roberson or Perry. It's just, can you build a lineup that you like that has all of them jammed in there? And that, that, that really is the rub in my opinion. So I love those guys, green light, but, but again, it, it's just about how you can build out and fill out uh, the rest of your lineup. I mentioned Alec Pierce earlier. This is a really good matchup. I've talked myself into Alec Pierce many a time and, and gotten burned, but he really does seem to be the, the only guy on Cincinnati that, that gets that reliable target volume. It's on nine targets in a competitive game a week ago, averaging six targets a game at 10 and a half yards per target. Uh, they don't throw a lot of touchdowns there, so that's a bit of a problem, but um, that's at least worth considering at 6,600. Um, I, I think Justin Ross He's, I can't believe he's down to 6,200, but I can't believe a lot of things about Clemson this year. But Florida State, not very good against the pass. Ross, really the only reliable pass catcher that that they have. So it wouldn't surprise me if he had a good game and returned some value at 6,200. Marvin Mims, his price has yo-yoed a lot. I think this is an interesting time to buy back in on him. Obviously, he he's, he's more um, that, that touchdown-dependent guy, that big play-dependent guy, because Oklahoma – not really interested in throwing it 40 plus times. Certainly not with Caleb Williams. It seems like they're, they keep it a little bit more on the ground. Um, but Mims has that big play upside. So don't forget about him at 5,900. Don't, you know, have sour grapes about the, the Kansas game because he could definitely bounce back against Texas Tech. I like Jake Bobo on the other side of the Duke Wake game. Uh, he's someone who's averaging, I think, a slate high um, 10 targets per game or, or somewhere close to that. Uh, no, he's behind David Bell of, of Purdue, but I'm, I'm kind of fading that game. But uh, 9.7 targets per game for Bobo, 8.2 yards per target. So that's a good amount of volume and efficiency to go with it at under 6K. Um, I definitely am interested there. Ty Freifogel is another guy who he's volume driven, um, but he gets to go against Maryland. I don't think Maryland's defense is very good. It is on the road, though, and Indiana does have a banged-up quarterback situation. I, I think they're down to their third string, so that, that is something to keep in mind. If Freifogel was under 5K, I would definitely be locking him in, but um, I'm a little bit less certain on, on him um, as a result uh, there. So who else do I have here? Um, Devin Williams, constantly underpriced for Oregon. I think that Oregon will be able to score some points. I know it's just bashing their pass game. Um, a little bit, but at the same time, this is Colorado that we're talking about. Colorado, not a good team. So um, definitely keep an eye there. Um, I think that one of these cheap Georgia pass catchers are, is going to pop. Um, we, we've seen Jordan or Jermaine Burton be injured for a lot of this season or, or be limited, but he's just 4,400. I think he's going to be able to play. If he does, him and Daniels have a definite connection. So, so keep an eye there. Um, and if you need to go way cheap, like borderline min price, um, A.D. Mitchell of Georgia at, at 3,300. Um, he sees a lot of reps on the outside. Um, he's a talented route runner. He's got great hands. Uh, I think he's the best freshman receiver that Georgia has. Uh, Brock Bowers is the best freshman pass catcher overall that they have. But um, A.D. Mitchell is also just like a, if you need a bargain bin dart, um, Mitchell might be the way to go. All right, brother. Fantastic breakdown. As always, make sure you check out all of our college football content over these next couple of days heading into the week. Uh, John, you do a great job. The whole crew does a great job. Uh, relatively small crew of guys covering a ton of news on a ton of teams throughout the year. So it's always very impressive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a labor of love. And, uh, you know, I can't believe we're, we're into the ninth week of it. Like a, my head has just been down uh, just 
chipping away and I can't believe it's November. So like the, the, the light is at the end of the tunnel. Not that I like want college football season end, but like, yeah, this is an absolute grind and it it's fun while you're doing it though, but it, you get a little tired towards the end of the season. But uh, you know, I, I still got the, the fire, uh, the coals going into the fire pretty good. Yeah, I mean, college football season wraps up. NBA all of a sudden is right in the middle. You can jump into your Atlanta Hawks. Everything's going to be perfect. There we go, and you know, and that'll be after the Braves bring home the World Series. So, I mean, things will be things will be good down here. Absolutely. All right, go dogs, go Badgers, go Braves, go any other teams you're rooting for this weekend. Uh, Looking forward to go Jags beat the Seahawks. I don't know what to think about that one. Uh, that we'll we'll be we'll be covering that in our separate Jaguars picks podcast uh, that'll that'll come out later this week. But uh, tune in; it's behind the paywall. It's yeah, it's behind multiple paywalls. It's actually behind the vault. Um, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to make you we're gonna make you work for that one. Um, but I'll, I'll reveal my Jaguars pick probably on the MKF show uh, tomorrow. But as always, man, great to talk to you. Looking forward to chatting again soon. Likewise. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.